Unfortunately, the beginning of this podcast was lost due to technical difficulties. We extend our apologies and hope that the remaining of this recording will be an edification to your soul. Pastor Spence is preaching from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14, and preaching on the subject of God's rules. I hope you'll enjoy the remainder of today's message. To redefine, we must understand that when it comes to sin, God still punishes sin. In fact, he tells us there, the last part of verse 5, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of Christ and God. He reminds us that this sin that God identifies as sin against himself, not only is it present, not only is it tempting, but God still punishes sin. That means that there's not secret sins that you and I can have that nobody knows about that we think we're going to get away with. God knows. And it also means that the things that we look around at other people and say, well, I know they're doing that, but as long as they keep their mouth shut about that, I'll keep my mouth shut about that. And this idea of this tit for tatter, we think that we're just going to come to church and we're all going to ignore everybody, other, everybody else's blemishes and we're all just going to sing kubaya and get along. God sees sin. And church, at some point we need to ask ourselves about our confession for sin, our repentance of sin. Over and over through the Bible, we see examples where God removed his favor and his blessings upon his people because sin was present in their lives. And we can come to church and we can put on the front face and we can put on all the show and we can say, well, I'm okay and I'm fine and there's nothing wrong with me and I'm going to tell you that when we come and examine our lives compared to what God is showing us, are we playing by God's rules or are we playing by the house rules? So he gives us this timeless truth that he defines sin. Paul wants to remind us that these sins are in place. And he wants to remind the church that these sins are taking place among the church. So you can't be imitators of God. You can't walk in love when you're guilty and you're committing all of these rampant, outward, obvious sins. But then there's another danger that he talks about. And the biggest reason why Paul wants, to underst- Paul wants us to understand that this is a problem is because sin is the evidence of spiritual darkness. See, it's not just a matter of you committed a sin, you just gave way to the flesh, you just imbibed a little bit of vice or a little bit of behavior. It's not that you had a bad word to say or you saw a bad thought or you listened to something or watched something you shouldn't see. It's not a matter of saying, well, I messed up or I made a mistake. No, when we sin or when we harbor sin or when we give place for sin to well in our hearts and our lives, it's evidence that we have spiritual darkness within us. In fact, he says right there in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He reminds them that they should not be partners with the world because the world is in darkness. And church, we've come to miss the point that when you get born again, you get redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you now have this spiritual light called the Holy Spirit inside of you. And God puts light into this world and true light cannot partner with darkness. There's no way. There's no way that you can have the two connected. Now there's lots of ways that we could visually explain this or visually show this, but you can just think in your head that when it comes to the lightness and the darkness, you understand that there's no way that we can put light and dark in the same room together. You cannot put it in the same box. You cannot put it in the same closet. You cannot put it in the same room. You cannot put it in the same person. Either they're going to be light or they're going to be dark. And the only way that you get darkness is that you remove the light from the, from the situation. That's the only way that you get darkness. No one has a flashlight that produces darkness. No one has a candle called darkness. And they light this thing up and the room just gets dark. No one has lights. They turn off. 
the darkness comes. It's one of those things that he reminds us that this spiritual darkness is the absence of God in our lives, the absence of the Spirit's direction and guidance in our lives. When we are in that spiritual darkness, it's a reminder that God is not controlling us. And that should bother us. To think that we can go through life and do what we want and how we want and not care what God wants in our lives. Can you imagine coming to that stage in your life that you don't care what God has in store because you're too busy doing it your own way? And, and, and Paul wants us to understand that this sin, it's not just that God punishes sin, it's not just that sin is present and it's tempting and, and that God, uh, the sin is damnable in the eyes of God, but it's this idea that when we have this sin that is amongst us, it's a presence of spiritual darkness and this darkness is the absence of light. So he reminds us there in the text, he wants us to know it can't be one of those things that we can be a church of light on a Sunday and a church of darkness on a Monday. He can't be one of those things that we have believers, Christians coming in and professing to be faithful, obedient, submitted to God in him and then go out and live like the world out there the two do not connect I am so uh, regularly blown back by parents that have this line of thinking my child's going to do it anyway so I might as well expose them to it at the house a controlled environment and I want to be really careful here I, 13 is the longest I've made it. So I know there's some more years coming up that I'm not really prepared for. So it's not like I'm talking like, well, I've got it all figured out. Listen to me. I'm just going to tell you that that line of thinking, that saying that one of these boys is going to be involved with alcohol or uh, immorality or uh, pornography or one of those things. And so I might as well just let them see it at the house. I might expose them to in the house where it's a controlled environment and they can learn and get their bearings. That's nuts. So they might get polio one day, so I might want to try to start inoculating them with the polio now. They might get stitches one day from an accident or from a, uh, some type of workplace injury, so I might as well just go ahead and start cutting them now and practicing stitching them up now. Well, you know, they're going to sin one day, so maybe I should encourage them to sin now. That kind of line of reasoning is not from God, it's from the world. And this idea that we are going to marry darkness with light. And we wonder why we have young people today, this millennial generation, and they're leaving the church in the droves because they're not seeing, seeing authentic Christianity practiced in the home. And they're seeing parents that come here and say one thing and do something different at the home. And these parents are going around saying, well, if I don't expose it to them, then they're going to rebel and they're going to do the things of the world. And I'm going to tell you this morning that based upon God's word, we do not go around hinging ourselves, connecting ourselves to darkness in a means of trying to promote the light. That's not the way that God has said it works. And yet in our world today, we start to think, well, I've got to let them have a little taste of this and I've got to have a little, little taste of that and I've got to let them have a little exposure because that's how they build up their immunity. That's how they build up their strength. That's how they build up their right and wrong. I'm going to tell you the best thing that we can do for our young people today is to teach them the word of God and let them see the word of God being practiced in our own lives. And us going around practicing sin, abiding in sin, letting sin take place, giving sin harbor in our homes and in our lifestyles and in our action, it's not evidence of some type of parental desire for their best well-being. It's an evidence of darkness in our hearts. So, so Paul wants to make this connection. He wants to make the connection that sin is God's definition. Sin is God's 
explanation to what it is and why we need a savior and this sin is evidence of darkness but then he goes on in verse 8 and he doesn't just leave us there with the negative he goes on in the positive notice what he says verse 8 for at one time you were darkness translation for at one time you were lost you were separated from God by your sin you were headed to an eternity in hell Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He's reminding us that obedience produces spiritual light. Oh, this is the reason why we need to know sin and run from sin, flee from sin, not give sin harbor or practice in our lives because obedience produces spiritual light. In other words, this salvation, this salvation that we talk about when a person turns from their sins, repents of their sins, confesses Jesus as Lord of their life, and they come and they pray to be forgiven of their sins. They pray for God to come into their lives and to be the Lord of their lives. That's called salvation. And when that salvation moment comes, there's an illuminating effect that comes because now we have the spirit now we can see with spiritual eyes and now we understand what God is doing in this world and this obedience produces a spiritual light in other words the source of our pleasures reveals the condition of our heart he goes on there in verse in the passage and he says walk as children of the light and then he goes on he says for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord take no part in unfruitful works of darkness instead expose them he's reminding us that this idea when we look at how do we produce this spiritual life we find ourselves saying what is the pleasures So if you find more pleasure of watching Game of Thrones than reading your Bible, you need to check yourself. If you might find more favor, pleasure in watching Yellowstone than thinking on the things of God, you need to check yourself. If you find yourself watching TV and watching videos and being inoculated, inundated with sin and lasciviousness and debauchery and immorality and carnality and blatant offenses against God and yet it doesn't bother you. You need to check your heart. Somebody was showing me on their phone a commercial they saw just a couple of days ago, this dating service that the part of the gimmick, part of the advertisement, they were trying to get Satan a date. Satan has a date. <laughs> Mo talks about this date all the time in church. In Sunday school, talk, Mo's talking about this date that Satan has. Satan doesn't need a romantic date because Satan already has a date that is coming when his judgment will be final forever. And yet in this world, we start to take these things as cavalier. We start to take these things. As, it doesn't bother us. It doesn't affect us. It doesn't prick our hearts, hurt our feelings. It doesn't really matter. I was sitting there New Year's Day. We had some tanks that were flowing on a tank battery. And I was, I, I was there. And I was, of course, it's my fault because the pump won't run. So they got a tank truck driver there. And he's sucking the water out of the tank truck. And it's like every three or four words, GD, GD, GD. So I had my feel of it. And I walked away. And the other guys that were there, they, I guess, got the guy aside and said, hey, do you realize he's a Baptist preacher? Because <laughs> then I come back and the guy's vernacular had all changed. He said, are you really a preacher? And I said, uh, yes, sir. He said, you know what? The other day my preacher asked me about teaching Sunday school and he just like goes off in a totally different direction. <sighs> and I'm thinking, fella, <laughs> 
let's rewind the tape because the two do not match. The person you were then and the person you are now do not match. But here's the problem. That's what the world sees in too many of us. We act one way till we know that somebody from the church is watching and all of a sudden we clean it up. We act one way till somebody comes in and we clean it up. We act one way till somebody is listening and then we clean it up. So Paul wants the reader to know, he wants the church to understand that not only God defines sin, but the sin is evidence of darkness. But the good news is that obedience produces spiritual light. So then we come down to this fourth timeless truth that Paul gives us here in this text as he's putting a bow on this when it comes to God's rules. And he wants to remind you and I this morning that God sees our works. I realize that works do not save you. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But when we are saved, according to James, then we will produce works. Works that are reflective of our relationship with God and God working in us. And these works will be evident in our lives. And so he says there in verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. He's reminding us that God sees our works. sees what we do. God sees what we watch. God sees what we listen to. God sees what we like, what we repost, what we retweet, what we tag people in. God sees what we take pleasure in. God sees what we record on our DVR. He sees our Netflix account. He sees our Twitter history. He sees our social media feed. He sees what comes into our head. He hears what comes into our head. God is everywhere and God sees and this idea that I should not go around and doing anything that might bring people into condemnation or uncomfortability is a farce. Notice he says, take no part in the unfruitful works, but instead expose them. May I remind you this morning that exposure is not judgmental. We've got this idea that the world says, you know, you can't tell me what is right and wrong based upon God's word because that's your judging me and you have no right to judge me. You know what? It's not my place to judge you. You're absolutely right. But you know what? If God's word says it, then there's nothing wrong with me saying it. Because whether you hear it from me or you hear it from God, you're going to hear it. And then this idea that comes in that we says, well, I can't make them feel bad. I just got to go along and I just got to make them feel comfortable and I got to make them like it. I'm going to tell you when you come in these doors, whether you're coming in that door or that door, I want you to feel comfortable. I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel that there is a love of God in this place. But that that does not mean that I encourage, support, or condone your wrong before God. There's no commandment that says, thou must accommodate sin. So Paul wants to remind us here in this passage that when it comes to a church, especially as we grow in our faith and we grow together, we need to understand that there are still standards that God has for the Christian life. There are still timeless truths that God has given us. So Paul says, even though that you're doing these things, even though there's positive things, even though that I know your heart and your attention is there, you need to be on guard because God defines sin, not us. This sin is present present in our lives. The sin of, is evidence of the spiritual darkness. When we sin, see sin, we don't need to think, well, it's just, it's, it's okay. It's not going to hurt anything. That's evidence of darkness. And then you think, well, I want to be the light. I want to be the light that points other people to Jesus. That comes through obedience. And at the end of the day, we need to understand that when we lay our head down. I was talking in Sunday school about laying your head down and not having any guile, not having any guilt. And then not being a sign of perfection, not being a sign that you are completely blameless. It's 
idea that when you lay your head down, if you had anything to confess, you confess it. If you had anything to get right with God, you got right with God. So when you laid your head down, you didn't have a conscience that was bothering you because your conscience was clear in your relationship with God. That's the idea that we're given here is that when God sees our works, we understand that God knows when we lay our head down or not and we play back the tape of what happened today and we go, hmm, I messed up here. Hmm, I didn't do it right there. Hmm, I lost my temper here. I shouldn't have said that. I should have said that. We have an opportunity to say, God, here I am. You see my heart. I do not want to continue to promote darkness. I want to be a source of light. And we have that heart. It says, I don't necessarily need to worry about what the world says about me. I need to worry about what God sees in me. And this light of God's word, it reveals our error. He says there in verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on, ne- on you. Now this passage here that Paul is quoting, it's not necessarily taken from one passage, it's a couple of different passages in Isaiah that he is cobbling together to make a quote, but what he's trying to remind us there is that this light we should not shun, it should not be something that we're embarrassed of, or that we're trying to run away from. We understand that the light of God's word, the light of God's spirit, the light of God's teaching us is meant to show us our error to bring correction and uh, uh, teaching into our lives to show us how we might please God so in other words we should want to read our Bibles because by reading our Bibles we know what God wants us to do we should want to come to Sunday school because we understand by knowing more about God's word and by better understanding God's word we're better able to live our lives in light of God's word Which means that we desire the fellowship of the believers because we realize that the rest of the week we're in the fellowship of the world and the world is not pointing us to Christ. The world is usually pointing it to themselves and so we need to seize every opportunity that we have to be around God's people in fellowship with God's people. And if you think that two hours a week is enough, try sleeping for two hours a week. Try eating for two hours a week. Try going to work for two hours a week. See if that's enough. I was listening to a podcast the other day and a guy was talking about a social experiment that he did that he spent 27 days in dark solitude. I don't know why anybody in the world would do that, but he was doing it as an experiment to see the effects that solitude and darkness would have on a person. So he had a team that put him down there in this position or put him down in this hole, I guess, if you will, this holding cell and said, okay, we're going to, everything's going to be pitch black. You're never going to have any source of light, any way of knowing what time it is. And we're just going to bring your food, knock on the door. Everything's going to stay pitch black. You open the door, you get your food, you eat in darkness, you Live in darkness, if you will, all by yourself. And he said that as he got there, the spirit, the darkness was so overwhelming that he lost track of time. To the point that he thought he was on day 14 and they came and said, okay, time's up. He said he had lost so track of time that he didn't even know what day it was or what hour it was or where he was. That's what physical darkness will do to us. Imagine what spiritual darkness will do to you. And yet we think that we can come to church two hours a week and that'll be enough. And I'm going to tell you that we are seeing the effects of that in this world right now. We are seeing a church and we are seeing people that claim to be Christians that are more reflective of the world than they are reflective of God's word. And we see a people today that call themselves born again believers that are playing more by the house rules instead of by God's rules. So how do we examine whether we are 
walking in light? How do do we examine whether we are growing in our faith? How do we examine whether we are growing in the way that Paul calls us to grow? Well, three three quick things and we'll be through this morning. Just three quick ways that I want to ask you, is this true about you? Paul comes into this passage and he wants to remind the church that these things are good, that you're trying to do imitating God and walking in love, but the problem is, is you're not going to fully be able to do that as long as sin is present, as long as spiritual darkness is present, as long as you think that you can do all those things in secret and God never knows. So here's the questions that we need to ask ourselves. Whose rules are we following? Whose rules are we following? There's a Bible reading plan on both these tables in the back. And I encourage you with all the pleading I can to get one of those and read. I realize that some people say, well, you know, Bible reading isn't my thing, or I don't like that Bible reading plan. I want a different type of Bible reading plan. That's great, but I'm just going to encourage you that the best thing that we can do for our spiritual lives many times is just read God's Word. Well, I don't understand it all. Good. Neither do I. It doesn't always make sense. I understand that. But it's God's Word to us. Can you imagine not reading what God has to say to us? I've seen a lot of textbooks in my days that I didn't understand every single word. <laughs> but I still read them. There's tweets that you see. There's posts that you see that you don't understand what that person's saying. You don't understand that word. You don't understand this word. But you still read it. You still try to understand it. There are things that when you first got your smartphone, you didn't have a clue how this stuff worked. And yet you take the time. You took the effort. You made the intention to learn how to use it. I remember people above me in seniority and wisdom coming to this phone and saying, I have no idea. I'll never be able to use it. And next thing I know, they're texting me. And I'm like, really? We learn and we pursue what we desire. So whose rules are we following? Second question I would put before you is whose wrath do we fear? Paul makes it very clear in this passage this morning that the danger of darkness, the danger of sin, the danger in us walking in step with the world is the judgment of God is coming. We will all stand before God one day and we will all give an account for our lives. And it's not just the lost people. Saved people will also stand before Christ one day, the Bema seat, 2 Corinthians 5, and we will still give an account for Christ. Does that mean that you could be saved and then go to hell? I don't believe that. I'm not going to tell you that. But I will tell you that you will stand before Christ one day and give an account for your life. You may still go to heaven, but you will still be held in accountability for what you have done. And this wrath that is coming, this wrath that Mo was talking about in Sunday school this morning out of Revelation 13 and 14, Revelation 7, this wrath that is coming upon a world that has lost, that has given themselves over to Satan and over to the flesh and over to sin and darkness, this wrath is coming and whose wrath do we fear? Do I fear your wrath and you chiding me? Are you making fun of me? Are you making light of my conviction or my pursuit of God? Or am I worried about the wrath that I will endure when I stand before God, my God one day? questions the accountabilities and then this last one we're done what truth does the world see in us what truth does the world see in us go back up there in the text in verse 13 he says but when anything is exposed by the light it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light it makes, us, makes me wonder when it comes to our life and our position here at this church, here in this community, what truth does the world see in us? Coming home from 
uh, butchering a hog just last night, one of the boys said, Daddy, what's the difference between the Methodist and the Baptist? Well, we have different opinions on what the Bible says here and how we apply the Word of God to our lives. There's differences among us. And I'm not saying those differences should be dividing lines when it comes to other brothers and sisters in Christ, but I'm going to tell you that there should be a distinction between the lost and the saved. There should be a distinction between the forgiven and the forgotten. There should be a difference between someone that is walking in light and someone that is walking in darkness. There should be a difference in your life today. And that difference should be Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you know in your heart of hearts that you have never made that decision. You know that you have never taken that step. You know that if you were to die today, you would go to hell. You realize that your life is marked by darkness. Today is a day that you have an opportunity to repent of your, repent of your sins, confess your sins, cry out in salvation, and God will forgive you today. You might be here this morning and you may say, Spence, I know that I'm saved, but I've been walking up and pursuing after darkness for far too long. And maybe today is a day that you just need to start this new year off and to say, God, here it is. Here's my sin. Here's my behavior. Here's my vice. Here's my pleasures. Here's the desires. Here's the things that I don't want to do. I'm going to repent it to you. I'm going to confess it to you. I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to say, I don't want any of that anymore. I don't want to keep walking in darkness. I want to start walking in the light. Maybe you're here this morning and God has put something else on your heart. Whatever it may be, I don't want you to leave here this morning knowing that you are not walking in the light of God. He says right up there in the passage, verse 8, walk as children of light. I hope in my prayer that before you leave here this morning that when you walk out, you will know with all certainty you were walking out as a child of the light. You bow your heads with me.